Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. So, Joey, uh, welcome mm-hmm. back to Cut for Time. You are doing this every week, and now you get a break next week, so... Yeah, Enjoy Jeff's preaching the next time. two weeks. I'm excited to uh, excited to hear Jeff preaching on uh, Stephen, the you know the first de- the first deacon, one of the first deacons, first martyr. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to cover all of chapter six in the next two weeks. Okay, moving we right along. Slowly speeding our way through Acts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So Joey, give us a recap from your sermon on Sunday. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So uh, throughout Acts, there's a lot of uh, doubling or dupli- it feels like duplication of stories, right? So we already had Peter and John arrested a couple chapters ago. Now the apostles are arrested again. This is the first of an angel shows up and lets them out of prison. You know, this is the mm-hmm. first one. And then it's going to happen again to Paul and Silas, you know, later. Yeah. Um, we've got a trial and another trial, you know, those, those sort of things. So sometimes it's kind of like, didn't we just read this story? But each time it happens, right? Luke includes it for a reason. And there's always this intensification as things are repeated, you know, things get, um, things get more and more, well, intense, right? We get to the end of, one thing I left out of the sermon is we get to the end of this passage and the apostles are even more dug into their position. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah is Jesus every day in the temple from house to house. And the Sanhedrin, the ruling authorities, are even more dug in, stop preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And so we're left kind of wondering, how is this head-to-head tension going to resolve? But anyway, but you asked me to review the sermon. So this (laughs) uh, this last Sunday, uh, we were in chapter 5, verse 12, all the way to the end to verse 42, um, Mm -hmm. looking at the story of the apostles being arrested, the full group of the apostles Um, being arrested, actually tried this time for breaking uh, a direct command of the Sanhedrin, which is the highest ruling court in uh, in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, of course, being the capital of Israel. This is the Supreme Court. Um, They've they've, um, disobeyed the Supreme Court publicly. Now they're being tried for it. It looks like this could be the moment when the entire Jesus movement is wiped out because, you know, the apostles are killed. Uh, if the apostles are killed, then who's left to lead it? But we have a miraculous rescue, not necessarily the angel rescuing them from prison. That's necessary for the story to continue, but it's not um, its not what Luke focuses on. But the rescue of Gamaliel, this Pharisee stepping up and saying, guys, slow your roll. Like, this could be something. Now, he doesn't, I don't think he thinks it is, but he's saying, like, this could be something that God is doing. It's one of those like conditional statements, like, hey, if this is just a human thing, well, then kill the leader, the followers scatter, right? We've seen it happen time and time again. If mm-hmm. this is just, if, but if this is really from God, like it's not going to stop and you're going to end up being on the wrong side of what God's doing. Mm-hmm. So, but the point, um, the, the thread, kind of the melody line we're following all the th- way through the story is this whole honor and shame uh, thread. And what we have coming from the through to at the end of it is the apostles um, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor 
for the name. And we don't intuitively feel like, what does that mean to suffer dishonor? But this is a very, like, this is an honor shame culture and uh, where your, you know, your reputation is everything. It's how you make your way in the world. Um, you don't, like, we would ask a question about something like, hey, is it right or is it wrong? And they would ask a question about doing something like, well, how will it appear if I do this, how will it appear to others? Will this elevate me and my family or will this, you know, de-elevate me and my family, whatever the word is. Mm -hmm. So um, they rejoicing at suffering dishonor is two words you wouldn't normally put together. Um, so we were asking ourselves like, hey, we're, we don't live in an honor shame culture, but actually a lot of sociologists would say we're going back to that kind of, uh, of an arrangement, especially if you live your life yeah. online and social yeah. media. Um, so are we willing to be dishonored for the honor of Jesus or are we uh, more, are we risk averse? I think the big question for me was um, why, why do I feel so strongly or almost intuit that my role is, or, or that the, the, it shouldn't be risky to follow Jesus. I shouldn't have to risk being shamed for following Jesus when that has not been the experience of the majority of believers for the majority of time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a tough question for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it seems like the honor shame culture at the time, they mm -hmm. were concerned about the shame that it would bring upon their family. Um, I, mm -hmm. is it possible now? I think it seems like we're more concerned about the shame that it would bring upon us. I could be wrong, but like, I think we're more yeah. concerned about like our own shame and what it says about us and less about what it says about the family. Um, do you think the similarly, like, what do you think we're going to be facing as a challenge of the shame that we face mm -hmm. or, or what, or is it the same? Like, do you think we'll find that it's a consequence for the entire family or is it just for the individual these days? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're much more uh, individualistic than communalistic. And these cultures were very communalistic. And that's part of why they uh, had the honor shame notion um, built up those communities. Um, so for us, I do think it's going to be predominantly individual. You know, we, but there is some pretty strong guilt by association. So um for instance, you know, think of the Me Too movement, right? And someone who has done some reprehensible things is publicly shamed and the organization that employs them will not keep them anymore because they need to be disassociated from the individual or they will be tainted with the shame of that individual. Um, or think of uh, political rhetoric and it's like, hey, if I'm on this side or in this party, then every person associated with the other party is you know carries a sense of shame in my mind like i don't think don't talk up to them don't listen to them certainly don't take seriously anything they think um so it's individual but i do think there's some of that guilt by association stuff happening uh or i don't want your shame to um you know bounce back on me if we're both associated even if we agree about some one thing it's like well i have to disagree with that thing i agree with because you agree with it and i don't agree with you you know or your behavior or something like that so mm -hmm. yeah it, it'd be interesting there was a, a book that came out recently i thought about uh thought about reading when it came out and i i never did um and it came to mind again 
when I was working on this one, uh, John Ronson wrote a book called, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, uh, reflecting on his own experience of um, being targeted online uh, by people who are trying to shame him for something he said or believed. And I know nothing about the author, so don't take this as a recommendation. This is just a, yeah, I thought about reading it at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does it look like after you're, like, if you've experienced being shamed? It, we just received such shame, Nathan and I did from a family member because of uh, what we do for work. Oh, you work at a church. Can't take that seriously. That's not a real job. What are you doing with your right. degrees? Anything you say is not credible or whatever. Like, it's just like a fairy tale, right? So, right. okay. We are okay with saying, yeah, that like it's worth, um, Jesus is worth that. Um, but then how do we move forward in that relationship? Ultimately, like they're still oh, part of yeah. our family. With the person, um, right, right. Yeah, like if we've, yeah. if we've, because like in an honor shame culture, once that shame happens, like, is it a chasm? Like that's too big to yeah. like bridge? And like, what do we do now once we've experienced that same shame? You know, it, it, it depends somewhat on the culture, how they respond to how honor is regained. Um, some in some cultures, some honor shame cultures, honor is regained by becoming passive, um, and in others by becoming aggressive, uh, even violent, you know, so you would have to defend your honor. Um, so I think you have to challenge your family member to a duel, um, Great. meet at dawn, two pistols, get your seconds and just, uh, you know, be ready to go. No, um, you know, it, it strikes me that one of the temptations would be to respond to the person by trying to uh, quantify the impact of your work in categories that they would take seriously. So like, I think back to um, even like with my own parents, right? Uh, you know, going into ministry, my mom said I was wasting my brain and my dad was like, well, you know, you got to do what you want to do. I can't, you know, I can't make you do anything else. And I was like, that's a real, you know, some real kudos there. Um, yeah. But uh, I remember my dad once saying about my youth pastor, like, yeah, I mean, I don't agree with what he's this stuff, but he sure has helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you could be like, yeah, I know you don't think churches do all that much, but you know, we're really helping a lot of people do this or do that. Right. And put it in categories. I don't know if that's a right. good uh, approach or a bad one. It's, it's mm -hmm. like, I don't need to justify um, my work to people who have a very different um, way of valuing, you know, this work who, who would mm -hmm. find it shameful. It's like, I'm not, I'm not doing the work so that you'll honor me. I'm doing the work so that I will hear, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to work faithfully for the one who gave up his honor um, so that I could be honored by him. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're like, yeah, I, I guess you keep going into that relationship saying, well, I, I, if I go into this relationship, hoping to hear positive approbation from you, like getting kudos from you, I'm just going to be disappointed. So mm -hmm. you'd find it in Jesus and other, other close friends and, and uh, part of that community that does honor the things Jesus honors. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
All right, Joey, we've got some yeah, um, like some rapid questions for you. Text oh, yeah, yeah, questions. Yeah. Let's just uh, let's um, do it. See, not to minimize the uh, they're great questions, but I think that I'm just gonna boom, 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 shoot them and see what you can do. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, how do we know the reference to the apostles? Quote apostles in five eighteen is the full mm-hmm. group of twelve. Yep. So the Sanhedrin, uh, they, quote, arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. Um, Two things. One, uh, backing up to the context, verse 12, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Um, And then they arrested the apostles. So it doesn't say some of, uh, you know, it doesn't say they arrested some of the apostles or two of the apostles or anything, just the apostles. They're being seen as a whole as a as a whole group of 12 uh it's not for another seven chapters or so that we're going to see one of the apostles killed and then they're more specific luke is more specific about who he's talking to so it's it is an assumption you know it doesn't say all the apostles just but it also doesn't say some of them so Mm -hmm. okay uh, i I think it's a safe assumption that it's all all of them Mm -hmm. okay were the sadducees in a majority position among those in the sanhedrin uh, yes, yeah. So the Sanhedrin is a group of seventy-one uh, men, elders in uh, Jerusalem, who are the council, right? Um, the Supreme Court, I, like I called them earlier. Um, the high priest plus seventy others. There's a group of Sadducees. Um, there are Pharisees that are part of it, um, and then there's a group of like older men who don't have a religious function. The actually elders that are part of this 70. Um, at this time, the Sadducees were pr- were much more influential and powerful in Jerusalem. The Pharisees were much more powerful up in Galilee. Um, they are still part of this council. But, um, you know, interestingly, one of the things I didn't mention in the sermon um, is that uh, the party of the Sadducees, that word party is this is also used to describe the early Christians. So if you think of Judaism, having different flavors there's sort of the pharisaical flavor which is really like if we could just obey the law perfectly for one day the messiah would come back there's the sadducees kind of flavor which is hey this is largely a spiritual thing like this is a uh you know goal for living type of approach but there's no resurrection there's none of this other stuff Mm -hmm. and then um and now there's the uh the messianic ones who believe that the Christ, the Messiah has come, that it is Jesus, the what the Jesus who is from Nazareth. And then there's another group called the Essenes, which are really radical. They're like a separatist group, you know, go out into the desert and build your own community out there and, and live, uh, live a pure life. They don't really show up in the New Testament because they're out in, you know, desert communes, not really interacting with anyone. So uh, at this point, it's like, yeah, the, the Messiah people are one of these parties of within Judaism, one of these flavors, um, until the end of this story, when we see, oh no, there's, there's some real, it's like everybody against the Jesus people. Okay. Yep. Um, so the punishment, Joey was, um, did they receive Hmm. a full 39 lashes? Right. So 40 lashings minus one is the beating, uh, sort of the, the, the furthest you can go in beating somebody. Um, I doubt they got the full 39 because the goal here, because 39, you know, 40 minus one, um, had the potential to actually be lethal. 
uh, it depended on the health of the person who was being beaten um, and the ferocity of those who were doing the beating, how carried away they get. I would guess because they didn't want to kill these guys, they just wanted to punish them, that it probably wasn't the full 39. I don't think it would have been fun, whatever it was. Um, but I'm guess I would guess it's a lesser number than than the uh, 40 minus one. Okay. Um, and lastly, did the no resurrection theology of the Sadducees make them even more opposed to the teaching of the apostles? Right, right. Yeah. So the Sadducees would have rolled their eyes at Peter saying this, you know, God raised up this Jesus. Um, actually, in Acts 23, when Paul is tried before the same council, um, interesting, I kind of wonder if his teacher, Gamaliel, you know, who features in this story, if his teacher is then part of that Sanhedrin. But mm -hmm. uh, Paul appeals to a resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, we don't see anything wrong with this guy. This guy's great. And the Sadducees are like, no, he's totally off his rocker. And he focuses on a, on a resurrection in order to get these two groups to kind of fight against each other and essentially <laughs> a mistrial. Um get them distracted fighting each other instead mm -hmm. of arguing with him so mm -hmm. um you know at this point in the story luke doesn't record anything there about them responding but um that's part of it and then of course um we're gonna get stephen's speech in chapter seven and that's also in front of the sanhedrin um these uh, uh he doesn't talk about the resurrection but he gets so explicit you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the holy spirit as your fathers did so do you you know which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute you killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered you who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it and that's when the sanhedrin is like now having heard these things they were enraged and ground their teeth and then he says, behold, I see the heavens open. Stephen's looking up and the son of man. And they're like, okay. Um, they rush at him, cast him out of the city and stone him. Right. Mm. Like these guys. And then, then Luke doesn't record it, but then they have to justify to Rome, like why they executed somebody. Um, they couldn't, they couldn't pull it off with Jesus. You know, they had to coerce the Romans into doing it, but this one, they're just like, nope, we're taking this guy out. Hmm. So the tension, I mean, yeah. I, spoiler alert, I just gave it away, but the tension is mounting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joey. That was fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you want to add? Boom. Boom. Oh, anything else I want to add? You know, I, um, it was a longer passage that we skimmed. We didn't skim it, but I didn't read all the detail or go into all this, this detail and stuff. So it's, it's a good, um, uh, it's a good story that's going to set up where uh, where we're going. Of course, we're going to, you know, Luke's going to ping pong us back again to an internal issue with uh, the church at this point is so large and complex that just the apostles and maybe a smaller set of the apostles who were managing the daily distributions of, you know, care of benevolence of food and money for those who needed it are accidentally neglecting the the older widows who's like, first language isn't Aramaic. So it's a little harder to communicate. It's a little harder to make sure their needs are known and they're accidentally neglecting them. And it's like, you know what, we got to build some structure here and begin to focus. And so it's, yeah, it's a great story the, mm -hmm. of the, the, the church getting more complex and yet still trying to do those, these basic things of meeting people's needs, preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Joey. Appreciate your time. Yeah. No problem. This was fun. See you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.